What a series. And I always love this, um, something called an expository preaching. And I have a dear friend, Peter. It's called expository preaching. Something you get topped up from the front, from the, from the top. Um, we'll leave it there. So in Ephesians thus far, we've come a whole journey. I'll, I'll tell you afterwards, Pete. In Ephesians thus far, we've, we've come thus far. Pete kicked us off. Uh, Gary kicked us off, in fact. Pete's going to kick me off just now. <laughs> but God sending Jesus to this world in, in, and, and sh- demonstrating his power. Can you just imagine the, the power that vests in somebody when they speak and the world calls it a big bang? I can but imagine when God spoke this, birth, this earth into creation that there was an almighty bang. So they are right in one context. They're just wrong with the amoebas and things like that. So in Ephesians 1, we were looking at the resurrection of Jesus, the importance of his blood, the significance, and how we as people have been chosen in Christ. Because of what Christ did on the cross, we have been chosen. And that was Gary's uh, initial messages to us. The second part, then Paul came up and he was t- telling about the spiritual resurrection of unsaved people. That there's hope out there for those that are unsaved, that do not yet know or have not yet chosen Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that you have a purpose. Actually, every one of us has a purpose in life. And that was Paul's message to us last week. Today, we're going to be looking at something a little bit more difficult I suppose, for me, because this is about hatred. It's about the Jews and the Gentiles. It's about people in this world that are at war with each other. There's factions in the world. There's dividing lines between countries. There's dividing lines between suburbs. There's dividing lines, and, and there's a bitterness, and there's a, there's a hatred towards each other. The world is at war. Remember that movie, The World at War? War of the Worlds. The world is at war still to this day. There are enemies all over the show. But why? Why, Lord? Why is there this bitterness? Why is there this hatred? Why is there this division between the people of this world? You brought us into this world. We have a different skin color. We have different races, different tribes, different nationalities, different wealth levels, different classes, different languages. And we are at odds with each other. This language thing struck a chord with me when I was a lighty, because I was born in Durban and we came up to the farm from being a suburban kind of dude, and we came up to a place called Hackbert. And I went to Hackbert Salah School as a little soti, as an English-speaking South African. And when I got there, guess what? My language was different. And I've got the Buddha, Joma, and the Sotis, and we went, yeah, we leave it there, and, and we just, we're, we, we were at war. And they'd come, come here, Mikey. At break time, we'd wander off down to the road. We're going to go and play. And you get around the corner, out of sight of everyone, and what happens? Out come the fist. Bah, bah, bah. And yo, yo, what's going on here in life? That's my little language story, right? Now I became a little thoroughbred Afrikaner. Guess what happened? End of primary school, I'm now one of the chums, one of the guys, one of the Buddha rot, you know, the kind, Colfoot plonkies, playing rugby and soccer barefoot with a grutton. Scooping for favor in those days, I became a Afrikaans boy. I go to Pretoria Boys High School. My parents decided it's good, my son, to be anglicized. Yet again, we are going to now make you a little English fella that speaks proper. And guess what happened? Got there as a little Afrikaner. My language was different, and I got pummeled once again in life. So this division, this thing in, in, in my life was very real to me from, from a very a young age. We are at war with one another for whatever reason. 
with each other. But here's the sad part. We also at war with God. And that's the part that breaks my heart this morning. The part that breaks my heart is that we are at war. People don't believe in you, God. We don't believe in you. It's your imaginary friend, Dad. It's your imaginary friend, colleague from work. It's not mine. It's not my thing. I'm not into this Jesus thing that you're into. Looking at the world, he's a God of love, really? Really? And you look what's going on? Well, let me tell you something. The culture that we exist in, the culture that is spoken from is man-made. In the word of God is completely different. That is God-breathed word. But yet people choose to follow the culture of the day. This is what's relevant to me. This is what I'm going to choose. This is how I'm going to be because of culture. Sin wiped us out. We are dead. D-E-D, deaded. Kaput. We are separated from God. And how does one get separated from God? Hmm? And this is the sad part. Being dead is a spiritual thing. It's a physical thing. So let's start with the physical thing. Doctors today still argue about when is someone dead. I remember being at my father's deathbed. And he was but a corpse. He's breathing. Period. You put things on his head, no response. You pick him with a needle, no response. When is he dead? I'll tell you what the Bible says about when people are dead. is when your spirit leaves your body. We are a spiritual being having a physical experience. When are you dead? When do you cross over that great divide? When your spirit departs. So whilst you're there on a ventilator, whilst you're there doing life, there's, ch- there's chances. That's why we spend time with our people, praying for them, releasing their soul, preparing them for the hereafter, calling out to God to, if they're not saved, save this person. They are my brother. They are my friend. They are my, my pop. Whatever the situation is, Lord, hear my prayers. We beseech you. We stand in the gap. Intercessory prayer, right? That's a big thing. James 2.26 says, with the spirit, the body without the spirit is dead. So that's physical death. Let's look at spiritual death. What we're alluding to here in Ephesians Chapter 2, Paul, last week and for me today, is this thing called the spiritual death. Have you heard of zombies? Isaac, a zombie, zombie. <laughs> In Haiti, of all places, you know, between North and South America, you've got those, all those little islands there, and these places like San Juan and Haiti and all those kind of places. They actually have ceremonies. They call them zombification processions, where the recent dead are brought back to life. Which spirit do you think is invading their habitat? Hmm? What spirit is making zombies a body walk? They're mindless. They're soulless. They are senseless people walking around the planet. And you've seen the movies that scare the bejesus out of people. Why? Because you can't do anything. They are possessed. There's a physical being that's walking around. Shoot it down. The leg falls off. It gets up. Why? Because it's got a spirit inside of it. Not of God. They have these things. In San Juan, they have, for the people that are already alive, like you and me, they have voodoo. Have you heard of voodoo? Demon. People are being demonized. People are being inhabited by other spirits. And what happens to you? You go into this demonized trance kind of state and... They put you high on drugs and you, you walk around literally like a zombie. Guys, how many of us in our lives are walking around like zombies? The world has taken over. We are physically dead, potentially. What happens when we cross over that great divide? Are you sure of your salvation? Where are you going when you change the dress? Which is an imminent thing for all of us. Maybe not imminent, but it's something that's going to befall all of us at some point, right? 
More, more, more damaging than that, never mind being physically dead, never mind being spiritually dead, what about being eternally dead? When you cross over that great divide into your new address, guess what it's going to be? H or H? Heaven or hell? Read it in the Bible. Go and find it out yourself. Being cast out is being separated from the presence of God. People of this world, that's what it means. 2 Thessalonians says the following, Punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Punished with everlasting destruction. In Luke, it talks about this place called Gehenna, hell, I surmise. The outer darkness where it says there'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Those that don't know Jesus, that's the other H. Wow. Should we be praying for the unsaved? Should we be getting those cars stopping on the side of the road? People that don't know Jesus in our life. Call that stuff forward. Let's do it. Then God arrived on the scene. God pitched up in his glory. And what did he do? He had a plan and a purpose for every single one of us here. Once you weren't saved, now you are saved. Once you weren't. He brought his son that he loved. His son into this world to be the living sacrifice for us. That did it all. That he can bring his people back together again. Those factioning countries, those factioning tribes, those factioning states. Those people that hate each other. The Afrikaans and the English, the black and the white. There's unity. How does he do that? By bringing his people together. What does he call us? His people, his bride, his church. He calls us to a place of holy habitation where his spirit comes and resides and stuff. We, inside, we are that temple, right? We know all this stuff. Some say, as I was alluding to just now, this is a loving God, really? Well, let me tell you how loving he actually is. What year are we in now? 2021. Jesus came to this world when the clock started ticking in the A.D. time, 2,021 years ago, Jesus arrived for you and for me and for all the people of this world. He arrived then. But he's an unfair God. How much time has he given the world to make up their minds as to who they want to follow? The world or God? The ways of the world or the ways of the Heavenly Father? I think that's patient. I think that's a loving Father that regardless of what your son or daughter does in this world, I love you, my child. I love you. Yeah, dad, but I'm going to go to that party and I'm going to go and do sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But I still love you. Don't do that. It's not right for you. What, what is the father's heart? He's giving you time. He's extending like we do in the natural, but just on a mega scale, right? That big bang scale that we were talking about. He loves you. He loves the sinner that's driving past in this car right now. He loves. He doesn't stop loving you. But you need to choose. He's called you, but you need to make a response. And that's why we exist as a church, as the bride, as this community, to make a response. It's like, it's like a dad being on his deathbed, and he loves his children just like that. He wants nothing but the best. He wants the best cars or the best bastard. He wants them to be saved. He wants just the best in life for them. And they keep rejecting him. The father still loves his children. They keep rejecting him at his deathbed. He yearned all his life 
for a relationship with his family members. And he died. And what do they want? Your inheritance, Dad. But I'm gone. I'm dead. I am no longer. And the same applies. Let that think in. Think in. Let that sink in. With the Heavenly Father, He loves, He wants, He calls you into a promise, He calls you into an inheritance, but you need to make a decision. You need to, you need to call. That's it. You need to respond to the Heavenly Father. Let's go and do an exposit of some of the text. Maybe you can put my slide up there, please. Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 22 is where we're at today. Next slide. Thank you. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, once circumcised by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, by the way, that at the time that you were without Christ, you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants or the, covenants or the promises, having no hope and without God, and in the world. According to that, we were really in a whole lot of trouble at some point. Hmm? Let's take some gems out of this. It's called an expository preach or a talk. So let's go and exposit. Verse 11, in the flesh. What does it mean to be in the flesh? I get so angry with the taxi drivers. I get in the flesh. I become carnally minded. I want to fight them. I want to... and you. Take the scenario where you're in the flesh, meaning your natural body instinct, your animal nature takes over who you are. That's what they're calling the Gentiles in that place. Somebody that's inciting to sin or has an urge to sin, has a propensity to sin and don't control it. Being fleshly. Someone that is not yet a Christian. Speaking about Jews and Gentiles. This is what Ephesians, the section of the scriptures about Jews and Gentiles being different. The Jews despised, now that's a big word, despised the Gentiles. They believe, the Jews believe that God created the Gentiles to be fodder for the fire of hell. Wow. Of all the nations that God made, God loves only Israel. Understand the mindset. This is the Jewish mindset versus the Gentiles. He's saying this about the Gentiles. It was so bad that you weren't even allowed to help a Gentile mom who was in childbirth. Why? Because you were bringing along and helping and aiding another one of these Gentiles into the world. And that was deemed by the Jews, by the upper crust of being a sin. There was a barrier between people, the Jews and the Gentiles. Here's another one. A Jewish boy or a girl marrying a Gentile boy or a girl. If that happened in your family, they actually had a funeral for the Jewish person. That's how they detested. That's how much they despised the Gentiles. There's someone that is different to you. Does this sound familiar in this world of ours today? The classes that exist, the racism that it exists. White can't marry black, black can't marry white. You can't marry across your language barrier. You, and just extrapolate from there the chaos. This is speaking directly into our context here today. There was an equivalent of death if you married as a Jewish person. 
You were walking in the marketplace. You were walking in the mall. You were walking in a... And you rubbed up against the Gentile. You went home, you washed your clothes, and you washed yourself because you would probably get the dreaded lurgy. Or the cooties, as somebody called it. You know, that inexplainable disease and in inverted commas. Do you think the Gentiles responded to all this? Who in their right mind? The little fighter boy that got blixed at school. Do you think I responded? Hell yeah. Do you think the Gentiles responded? Yeah. And this is the start of chaos in this world. The factions between God's people. Never mind him, most importantly, but between his people. Do you think anti-Semitism started there? Do you think Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Joseph Mengele, probably Joseph, not a good name to have, um, Genghis Khan, the Crusades, some of the... What are the Crusades all about? About Christians fighting Muslims. Religious wars. <laughs> I have a little bit of a religious war story. As a 17-year-old boy, I went to school when I was five. For my sins, I don't know why. I was barely out of nappies, and my mom said, off to school you go. So I went. I matriculated a long time ago at the age of 17. In the day, we had something called call-up papers, and you were called up to go and be part of the SADF, the South African Defense Force. In the apartheid area, you can imagine the language, you can imagine the training, you can imagine the environment. <laughs> of hatred and racism, just right there. And here you are, no excuses, you're a 17-year-old, and you go into this environment where You've got to work against the Swart Gefaar that are coming over the borders from Angola. They're coming to rape, they're coming to pillage, they're coming to steal. The training, how, how do you get someone to change? Starve them off sleep, starve them on food, physically get them down into the gutters by PT, physical training. Break someone down. And when you've got them at the lowest level, what happens? Message comes in. You onboard it, and you start growing. And they create these little monsters called soldiers. That's what they did with us. What was in my heart at that point in my life, do you think? Love for my brother? Love for black people? Love for people with a different language because of my schooling? Not the case, I'm afraid. Alexander has a, a saying. He says, we're all recovering, or I certainly am. Recovering racist, because that was in my being. Does that make sense? I was injected in me, and we had no choice. Verse 11 there on the screen, he talks about being circumcised and uncircumcised. What's that? That's an outward expression of a religious, cultural thing. To show you a difference between the Jews and the Gentiles, snip, 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 eight days after birth, done, I can now visibly see that you are different. You are a Jew, because you've been circumcised. And if you weren't, you were an outcast. But what the people didn't get is that's an outward expression. What was changing in people's hearts? Nada. What's happening today? There's a lot of outward expression. I've got a fancy car, I've got a fancy house. I'm circumcised. Check my you know, house. Check my bank balance. <laughs> you, know, you, know what I'm, you know what I mean? What's happened on the inside? Not much. Not much. It's an all an outward external expression. It says in verse 12, we were without Christ. 
We were without Christ. Christ hadn't come. This is Old Testament. How could you be a Christ there anyway? When did he come? He came later. Had he been? Well, I'm talking about not in this case, in the Old Testament. They had hope. They read the old scriptures. The hope and a promise of a Savior that was coming. They didn't know he would be by the name of Jesus yet. But there's a hope for us. We were without Christ, just like these people in these texts were. We were Gentiles. They were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Oh, the elites, the, Jew, the Jewish people, you know. We have a commonwealth of Israel. We are the chosen few. And anybody that comes into that environment is an alien. That's what they were told, those people. You have no hope. You are without God. We were in the world. We were ruled by the devil. Imagine all the stuff that we're talking about here being put down on a people. And you're on board it. Why? Because it's relentless. And that's exactly what the enemy does. He is relentless in your life. He's relentless in my life. He's going to take these lies. All those things that you see. You're uncircumcised. Your car's not big enough. You have no hope. You're useless. You're black. You're white. You... They felt like they were temporarily abandoned by God who they believed in. Understand, a Jew's not an atheist, a Gentile's not an atheist. It was a believing person that was not Jewish in those days, right? So it's believers like me and you of the world. But because we weren't Jewish, because we weren't of the tribe of Israel, we're outcasts. That's what this whole thing is about. Is this not a terrible state of the world that we're in today? Sounds familiar? Sounds about right? Next slide, please. Verse 13. Should I do it? Okay, there. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both Jew and Gentile one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. We'll talk about that just now. Having abolished in the flesh the enmity, the fighting, the hatred, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, things that were written down in the Mosaic law. Is that the right word, Mosaic? The law, Mosaic, not Mosaic. Sounds like Caesarean, but a little bit different. So that we create in himself one new man. Hallelujah! Two have become one. How? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Making peace. If you want the world to be at peace, guys, what do we do? Bring people together and tell them about... Ta-da! That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby putting death to death enmity. And he became... Come on, Bruce. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. (sighs) The The world's got mad. People have gone mad. People hate each other. People hate God. What needs to happen to bring peace into our lives, to bring peace in our communities, to bring peace to our country, South Africa, What do we need? He goes by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Verse 13, it says, But because of the death, because it was the blood flow, in the Old Testament, God required under the Mosaic law to be 
bloodletting, sacrifices. Animals were sacrificed. There were rituals and things. Rituals, that sounds terrible. There's a godly connotation to, to these things, right? Blood had to flow. Until Jesus came, Jesus' blood fl- flew, fled, fl- uh, flowed, <laughs> flowed, and, and, and it's done. There's no more sacrifices needed. No more sacrifices. Look at Jesus. Look at the, the, the value of the cross. God brought Jews and Gentiles, those that were near to him and those that were far off to him through the blood of Jesus and that work that was done. The Jews called people that had come to know Jesus in the way proselytes, I think it was the right word. They were called converts. Think about this. As a non-Jew wanting to marry a Jewish, a Jewish man wanting to marry a non-Jewish lady today, what has to happen? They've got to convert. They've got to convert to Judaism. They've got to convert. There's a whole procedure that they've got to go through to become Jewish so that they can marry a Jewish man. Does that make sense? That still happens today, in a sense, right? I've had some friends in my life. Jesus talks about here in verse 14 about the peace. He is the peace. Jesus is the source of restored relationships between God and man and between man and man. Isn't that a beautiful symbol of the cross? The cross has got an up bar and a cross bar. Up bar, make right with God. It's the bigger one of the two crosses. Hmm? And then hands out and embrace community, embrace languages, embrace people of different races and culture. It talks here about the wall being broken down, the, the barrier. And some people say in those days that in, in these days, this was the king, it was it Herod? was Herod in these days. And um, in his temple courtyard, that actually was so bad that there was this wall in the temple courtyard, separating in those days Jews and Gentiles. And what does it say here? Jesus came and broke down the walls in Herod's courtyard. Here's another analogy. Some people say maybe it wasn't the physical divide, but it was the spiritual divide. What about Jesus came and tore the veil? Is another story when, he, when It was done. What happened? The veil got torn from top to bottom. No more. What was the veil there for? It was to keep the holy of holies separate from the holy. (laughs) The Jews from the Gentiles. That kind of language, that kind of analogy. Some people say that that separation, breaking down the barriers we're talking here is that. So be it wall, be it a veil, doesn't matter. Is it a physical barrier? Is it a spiritual barrier? There were barriers. And the key thing for you to know in your life is that whatever the barrier is between you and your heavenly Father, Jesus has broken it down. He has torn the veil. He has created a new man. One body through the cross, thereby putting death to the enmity. He has created a new man. Now we've not just got two categories, Jews and Gentiles. We've got three. Jew, Gentile, and this new person in Christ called a little Christian, Christian. Christians were the third category of man that was created as a, as a result of this. A new man, a new entity with a new identity. <laughs> and how's this? I want you to consider this. When Jesus was on the cross, I don't know which way to go. When Jesus was on the cross, he was hung on the cross. What was his identity? Did he have a kilt on? Was he Scottish? Did he have a yamaka? Yamaka? Yamaha? Yamaka on his head? No, he was no identity. Did he have a robe? Did he have a prayer shawl on? What 
religion was he? Nada. He was either naked or in his undergarments. Meaning that his identity, he died for who? Regardless of your identity. Scottish, Jewish, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. He died for all. Wasn't that a nice picture? A nice picture, huh? Nice picture. Nice depiction. He died. He had no garments. He had no identity at that moment when he died. He died for you and he died for me and he died for every soul of this world. Next slide, please. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This we know from our, uh, what was the series we did? John. The foundation stones. Christ is our cornerstone. That's what was called the foundation stones course. It's coming back to me now. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God has come, Jesus has come, and we have created a new body. And they start using languages here of, we're a building project, actually. Do you see the language up on the screen there? He's building a new house. Cornerstones, building blocks of a house. It says in verse 22 there, we are being built we are, it's an ongoing process. We are being built. It's not built and done. Dash your temple. What's God's language here? It is a work in progress moment. Jesus Christ came and the building project, the heavenly building project is on its way. And it is growing. Why growing? Because Peter elsewhere in scripture tells us that we are living stones. How beautiful. We are Another brick in the wall. Hmm, something like that, right? We are bricks being put into and being building on the church or the temple of God. Don't you love that? Here's something you need to know. When you are building, I'll use gnashing and wailing and grinding of teeth in a different context, context because when you are building a house, who was here? Who was here when this church was being built, this physical structure? Blood, sweat, and tears. Why? Because it's hard work. <laughs> it's hard work. We as Christians are bricks in a wall. I hate that analogy. Um, a block in a wall. Bricks in a wall. That's a good, that's a good analogy. Living, sto yeah, living stones. We are living stones, Peter says. We are living stones in a wall being, building God's temple. Okay. You know what? You as a block have been carved, have been cast from the earth. You are being put next to another brick in the wall. <laughs> Haven't you? And what's going to happen? There's going to be rub. Isn't that true about life? Every time you put a new brick in the wall, you are surrounded by <gasps> bricks. Don't be a brickhead. Okay, <laughs> you might resent it, you might react to it, and you might even say, I want to remove myself out of this building project called the temple. But guess what? Yakani. Oh, hi, laddie. Yakani. You're a Christian. You are, as a Christian, going to be 
building part of the wall in another place. So if you remove yourself from an environment because I don't like Gary, or the worship sucks, or Paul's too loud, or too skinny, or what, whatever that rub, whatever that friction is between you and your fellow brickhead, whatever that difference is, you say, I'm going to remove myself. You're still a Christian. You're still going to be used by God in the building of his temple. And you take all your stuff with you to another room. <laughs> Make sense? No, it doesn't to me. Like, <laughs> you will soon discover, if you have not already, that the Lord puts you with people family, work colleagues, church people, to knock the rough edges off you. Not them, off you. What a beautiful testimony from Bronnie this morning. Speak to her afterwards about something that's changed in her life at work. There was a brick, and it was rough. And God was knocking the edges off her, (laughs) not the rough brick person. That's another story. That's God's deals with that person. So you're in a building project. Do not try and get away from God's building project in your life. Otherwise, you'll find yourself, Peter, remember the boat, the story in the boats where he walked on water? Remember that story? And there was a tumultuous storm. Is that the right word? A big, scary storm out there. And the people were flapping. The people in the boat were freaked out. Lord, we're going to die. We're going to drown. And Peter saw... Something approaching. He said, Lord, if that is you, bid me come to you. Full of faith. And he stepped out into the water and the first scuba diving lesson in history, I think. How to blow bubbles underwater. And what did Jesus do? He came to him and said, you silly, twisted boy, and put him back in the same boat. (laughs) I want to read this. If I try and fix the fix that God puts me in, then God has got to put me in another fix to fix the fix that he wanted to fix in the first place. (laughs) That's so good. Don't take yourself out of your fix. And I just look around the room and I see so many stories. People online, there's so many people watching here that have got a story. Don't try and fix your fix. God's got you there as a brick in the wall, rubbing up against community, rubbing up against your neighbor, rubbing up against people in your life, in your sphere of influence, for a reason. He's working on you. He's working on your heart. He's working in your life. He's working on your mind. He's trying to make you more Christ-like. God, believe this, God has got you exactly where he wants you right now. Exactly. And there's rub. Buddha, there's more lead in your pencil. And you know what I mean. The clutch pencil we were talking about. Not in, oh <laughs> I, I had a vision of him for the clutch pencil. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> if, you find, if, if you try and fix your situation, you're going to find yourself in another rubbish situation because you are deciding. Let God decide. Hand over. Submit your life. Submit your wall. God, let him direct. Let him be the lamp to your feet and the light to your path and take you along his journey that he wants. Don't you? <laughs> I want this new house. So I've got a house that's paid off. It's bond free. Perhaps if you're fortunate enough, I'm not there yet. I was there once upon a time in my life and it was paid off. Then what happened? Mm, that 
one there. It's bigger. It's got five rooms. It's got double garage and a carport and a servant's quarter and a pool and and sell, buy new. <gasps> Debt again. Don't be a brickhead. <laughs> Don't do it. Make life easy for yourself is another message I'd like to give you today. Here's a profound thing. In 1 Kings 6, they're talking about Solomon's temple being crafted, being put together, being made. The temple. We should be all waiting for the next one, right? Did you know that at the site, there was silence? Did you know that all the chiseling and all the hammering of the blocks and the bricks that were to make up Solomon's temple was done away. In a quarry. In a pit. There was the noise. There was the rub. There was the shouting. When it came in God's presence, there wasn't a sound. Scripture tells us that there wasn't a sound of a hammer or a chisel when they were building the temple. How does that relate to our lives? Guys, we are in the pit right now. This life, this side of heaven, we are in the quarry. We are in the pit of life. There's going to be rubbing. There's going to be chiseling. There's going to be hammering. There's hammering. There's going to be discontent. There's going to be words whistled. When does that change for us? When we cross over into our new address. Are you ready? Have you got a ticket? I'm going to land with this one. People of God, we need to unite. The story of Ephesians, and this is why I'm just loving this book. You know when you read something and you read it again, but God's got a magnifying glass in front of you, and you read the text that you've read before, like these texts here, but it's got a different context, it's got a different spin, because the Holy Spirit is highlighting like a magnifying things in your life. I pray that despite our differing opinions, despite our color, despite our racial things and places we were born into, despite if Trump's president, or Zuma, or Wimsquiddle, doesn't matter. God is in control. Believe it. Rest in it and unite with your brother, regardless of your differing opinions. The bricks in the wall were cut from a different block, all of them, but they unite in building God's temple. Be encouraged, regardless of your race, your color, or your creed. And how do we deal with the, the, the chaos in the world today? Unity. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth that came in the flesh. We are all part of his beautiful temple, his beautiful bride. His be what analogy you want to use? We're all part of that. Thank you, Jesus. Whew. Let's pray. Lord God, you are busy chiseling. You are busy hammering away at us individually in our lives, in our situations, Father God. And I pray that we would have a resilience and not run from it, 
Not try and remove ourselves to a different country when we're not called. Not try and remove ourselves into a different workplace when we are not called. Not try and remove ourselves into a different church when we are not called. Thank you for the rub in our lives. Scripture says, may it be all joy. In our failings and in our humanness, Lord God, we pray that you, by your Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, left us when you, Jesus Christ, went up to sit on the right hand of God. With that Holy Spirit that indwells believers, give us peace, give us joy, give us perseverance, give us love, and all those gifts of the Spirit that you talk about, Lord God. I pray for a unity amongst mankind. I pray for a unity in our country. I pray for a unity between countries. More importantly, Lord God, I pray for unity with those that have not or do not know you yet. Those Gentiles, as we heard in our preach earlier today, Lord God, that we will not frown down upon them like the Jews of the time. That they do have a hope. That they do have a promise. That they do have an afterlife. And it's all through Jesus Christ. Family, friends out there on the interwebs, those that do not know this person we are talking about, he loves you. He always will love you. He wants a relationship with you. Respond when he calls your name. And I pray that people like us will be front-footed and step out and tell you about him more. I pray that you would come to this church, or other good churches in the area, the churches of the city and churches of this country or world, that you would come to hear and have a passion and be on fire to hear about our Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen.